I want to welcome Derek Alpert to talk to me with David Ward. David Ward! And um, this man here, ladies and gentlemen, has been on the Canadian music scene for quite, quite some time. I ran into him uh, years ago when I was working for City TV. Um, but this guy kind of knows pretty much everything that's happening on the scene. He represents numerous artists. He's got a crazy website. I don't know how he writes as much as he writes. Um, but let's just, let's first, let's hear from him. Um, kind of curious, kind of briefly where you grew up and, and, and your early years in music, how you first got obsessed with music. Yeah. Um, I, I grew up in Toronto. Um, my grandfather was really one of the big influences in my life. He had a, he had a bar in Toronto called Grossman's Tavern that's still standing, but our family doesn't own it anymore. They sold it in the mid seventies. And I remember clearly as a kid going to the bar as a kid and dancing um, without alcohol um, and, and really seeing the, the musical community there, artists like Rough Trade and Downchild Blues Band and, and Jeff Healy. And I didn't know who these people were. I just knew that music was always a sense of community. It was a sense that of people getting together um, um, to celebrate something. Um, and I've always had the love of music after that. I suck at playing. I can't play. I was in the worst cover bands imaginable. Um, in high school and I realized that if I love music and I wanted to stay in it I better figure out a way of how to do it but I've always loved the stories of musicians I had a subscription to Billboard magazine when I was 12 and I loved reading about why things were happening the way that they were not necessarily why this was a hit but you know the history and the economy and the sociology and the psychology all of that wrapped up into the means to an end, which was music. So I started a record label and a booking agency and a PR company the day after I graduated university at York University, cut all of it out except for the PR side because I love talking to the media and I love reading um, what they were writing and I love the whole concept of what the media brings to the table in our society. So I've been doing that for almost 25 years now. And can you tell us sort of some of the artists uh, you know you, you've represented over the years and are currently working with? Yeah, so I've worked with uh, artists like Ringo Starr, who is in a, a fairly unknown band called The Beatles. Nobody, you know, I don't really know whatever happened to them afterwards. Um, but yeah, Ringo Starr, Bob Geldof, worked with the Wu-Tang Clan, worked with Sinead O'Connor. And on the Canadian side, I work with now with True North Records and Linus Entertainment and uh, Stony Plain and Justin Time, representing um, artists like Barney Bentall and Buffy St. Marie. Uh, Natalie McMaster, David Gogo, Sue Foley, Colin James, Murray McLaughlin, um, and on and on and on. So I work with, you know, pretty much, you know, the, the living legend that this country has ever produced, but also a lot of independent bands, too, because I still want to work with those bands that are just starting out that may not realize when to have a publicist. But I love working with them just because they're going to be the future of the music industry in a very, very short time if they play their cards right. And how do you, if you're going to get us, you know, some superstars coming in for internationally, how do you pick one outlet? And how do you narrow that down? I mean, there's so many channels, just the big main, main channels. There's, there's bloggers like me and all kinds of channels. So, I mean, and you've got people vying for stuff. How do you choose? <laughs> Yeah, you, you know what? We're, we're kind of lucky and unlucky at the same time to live in Canada because we're such a 
big country with so few people. We only have 34 million people in this country, which is the population of the tri-state area of New York, New Jersey, and Boston. So if I was in America, I would have a, a much difficult problem you know, with that. I would be going to, like, say, a Rolling Stone or a Spin magazine or Pitchfork because we all know that if you get a story in one of those big three magazines, for instance, or online publications, the rest of the world is going to pick up what was written there. In Canada, we're kind of living in our own little bubble. So when I have one artist that has, you know, one or two open spots, you know, and if they're Canadian, I'm going to talk to Canadian Press Newswires, for instance, who Canadian Press um, writes stories for all the newspapers across Canada. So in one interview, I could get literally anywhere between 150 and 200 newspapers um, publishing that story. If it's somebody that is just starting out, for instance, but they have a worldwide deal, but not many people know about them. I might be asking for an Exclaim magazine, for instance, or Canadian Beats, just a publication that's cool, that just kind of builds the buzz here and there from it. But we're in such a vast country with not a lot of media opportunities when you think about it. You know, um, my, my database, you know, for some cities is a couple of thousand and, um, you know, when you have an artist like 5440, it's a little bit different than, say, an artist like Andy Kim, because 5440 will get played on the Boom FM, Dave FM, Jazz FM, Boomer Station. All the dailies love them. All the weeklies love them because of their long history. All the blogs love them because they still get played on alternative rock radio. But if you're, say, um, an artist that may or may not have um, you know, hits in the last 20 or 25 years, then maybe you're going after Zoomer Radio or maybe you're going after Zoomer Magazine just to reach that target audience. But, you know, yeah. that's the kind of blessing and the curse of being in Canada. It makes my job a little bit easier because I know that if I only have one opportunity, I may not be pissing off a lot of people. Right. And, and, and that's something that's come up a lot as I've, I've interviewed people about the Canadian music industry, both back in the 70s and 80s when, when CanCon sort of started. And now, you know, and things have grown a lot. But I think even from what you're saying, in many ways, it, it's it's still, there's still some challenges and Canada is still in a weird way off to the side in, in that world, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, when you couple the fact that not only are these Canadian artists in competition, not only with another artist in that city or that province or our country, they're in competition with Led Zeppelin and the Beatles and the Stones and the Who and Adele and Taylor Swift and Drake because we're all going after the exact same eyes and ears as everybody else out there. And you and I may be music geeks and listen to music 15 hours a day in the background, but not many people do. You know, in fact, like most people don't have a CD player in their car. They listen to the radio maybe for 15, 20 minutes out on their way to work and that's it. So the, the the actual amount of gatekeepers that we have to to hit the general public is getting smaller and smaller with radio consolidation, um, with the amount of newspapers that actually cover not just entertainment, but music in general. I mean, you know, there's no music reviews anymore at the daily newspapers for the most part in the in Canada. Um, the, and that's where the blogs kind of saw the road and went down on it. They saw that there was a need for it. And maybe they all just didn't say, well, I'm not getting 
you know, or this local music scene isn't getting coverage, so I'm going to start a music blog. Right. For a lot of people who started music blogs or podcasts or 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 blogs, they did it out of the the fun of, of doing something and because they enjoyed music and they figured that they have an opinion and a voice and they want to use it. Mm-hmm. In this, when CanCon first started in the in the late '60s and then in the '70s and '80s, and there wasn't that many gatekeepers. You really you you released a couple of maybe independent cassettes or CDs. Um, the buzz grew from there. You got signed by a record label. You made a video for $20,000 or $5,000 or $200,000. You got signed by a record label. You made a video and then you serviced the video to Much Music. And if Much Music played it, you couldn't walk down the street anymore without getting mobbed. Now we're not all watching and listening and reading the same things anymore. We're not just all focused on much music. We're not just reading Rolling Stone. We don't get our news from one source anymore. So everything is, is, it's scattered a bit and it's, it's migrated into hundreds, if not thousands of blogs around the world where people are getting news and not just about, you know, your local music scene, but your, you know, your favorite musical style. If you want German metal you know, bands, there's us, there's tens of, of blogs for you there. So everything is more, is more fragmented and, and, uh, and scattered. So, you know, it, it certainly, it, it certainly makes my job a lot more interesting to know that if I get turned down by a very big magazine, that's okay. Cause I've got like 6,200 blogs on my database. Do you that think, I can go for. do you think that that defragmentation has harms? music as compared to the 80s the quality or is it just different yeah i I think it's just different you know there's especially on twitter whenever i post anything there's always going to be somebody that's knocking that band i mean regardless of who it is there's going to be somebody who doesn't like you know taylor swift there's always going to be somebody who doesn't like nickelback or or drake or somebody else and they're just they're just old like those people just they're it's just not for them anymore um but that that fragmentation just means that um that not only is there now something for everybody um but you can create your own scene you create your own niche but it's 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 really really hard to to crack it big now you know right now there's um say on spotify you know, they have 150, 160 different charts that you can chart on. Apple this week released their top 100 for over 100 countries around the world. Those are a lot. That's a lot of data to kind of go through and figure out, well, now what? Because this is all new to us. We're just, you know, I, I, I kind of get where we're going and where we've been. But, you know, the only thing that I have to go on that I know is, the truth is that great songs will always find a way. It's the only thing that allows me to go to sleep at night, that if you are great, if you are an artist and you write great songs, there's going to be a spot for you. There's going to be a road for you. I don't know what that's going to be, but I think that people will only share music or videos that either make them laugh, make them cry, make them think, make them angry, or you know, make them forget something or make them remember something. And and um, with music, it's it's to me, it's the same thing. So, you know, it, it certainly makes it more difficult for artists to crack it big around the world because you could have two or three million streams on Spotify and nobody outside of your your home province or your home state knows about you because now there's not just five artists in America with a million streams on Spotify like 
you know, two years ago. Now there's 4,000 of them. You know, when you, when you and I probably, you know, met all those years ago, you know, a, a pitch to the media would be that this person has a, a million views of their video on YouTube. And now a million is like minimum for anybody to even go, oh, that's interesting. It all depends, obviously, on what kind of music you're doing. If you're jazz, 100,000 views is pretty amazing. Um, if you're pop, your competition is Taylor Swift and Drake and and, uh, and The Weeknd and Justin Bieber and Jesse Reyes and Daniel Caesar. So it, those, are, those are what people are writing about. And the reason why that that's your competition is because these blogs and these media outlets, we're all going, we all want hits to our website. Yeah. Now, if there's any reason or if there's any confusion of why um, really great, you know, music sites like Pitchfork or Exclaim Magazine is writing about Justin Bieber or Beyonce, it's because they want the hits too, and they deserve them. Yeah. So they can't just write about that cool hip indie band that nobody's ever heard of before, because that just doesn't give them the ability to, to pay all the bills at the end of the month. So the competition is fierce because now we're truly living in a global society. Can you think of, um, you know, the, you know, back in the 60s, 70s and 80s, there was a thing, I don't know if you young people know about this, but there was a thing called development deals and development albums. So I'll ask you, Eric, um, can you name one or two bands that, you know, in this day and age would not have had the opportunity to create that hit, you know, third album, second album? Oh my God. Like, yeah. Loads of them. Like, you know, Bruce Springsteen's first two albums pretty much flopped until, until born to run came out. And there's no way, you know, like now, I mean, there, there's, there's hundreds. I mean, every, it's funny because artists usually have 18, 19 years to do their first album. And then they have six months to do their second album because if the first album becomes popular, then they send them on the road for like a year and a half trying to break it. And then they're like, okay, great. You have four months to do your next album. And then usually that's a kind of wonky release. But the third album is like, that's it. I'm going to do what I want to do. And the third album is sometimes usually the best of the catalog because um, um, they got, they got smart when you, have the lack of development deals now from the from whether it's the major labels or not all artists are their own development deal i mean the ability for you as an independent artist to not have a team around you if you don't have a manager if you don't have a booking agency if you don't have a publicist and if you don't have a record label and 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 all of those things to make the car go forward you are your own development deal you have to write 150 really crappy songs in order to get to your good one. There's a number of artists today that do that, that had those kind of deals or at least that system in place that said, we're going to sign you, but we're not going to release your music and you until you're ready to go. Scott Hellman from Canada had one of those kind of deals where he worked with other songwriters. He worked with other producers and team, and he had a team around him for years until they released his first EP, for instance. But yeah, I mean, Bob Dylan can't really sing. He can emote, but like, imagine if you're signing a Bob Dylan now and you release your first video and you get 50,000 views and you, you are potentially going to change the music world several times over, but your record label said, yeah, no, we're done here. <laughs> That's what it's like. There's a lot of, there's a lot of major labels around the world that are either, Universal or Sony or Warner 
who are signing artists based on what they're able to get on their own. They're putting the giant push of the major label behind them on, say, a Spotify or Google or Apple Play or iTunes. And, you know, if that single breaks, they just get another chance to do another single. That's all. And if that single doesn't break, they're done. They have to move on because that chart that they're looking at is filled with other artists to take a shot on until you've had your chance, unfortunately. You don't get that first album. You get one song. Like you get, and if you don't break a hit, like there is no album. Yeah. You know, you you brought up the the, uh, sixties and this is the, the, the kind of time that we're living in now where, you know, it's almost like how Motown had their success in Stacks record was that you, you get to release one single. And then if that worked, you get to release another single. And if that worked, then you got to release a single and an EP. Because really, I mean, albums are still good, but we're, if, if you're playing to the 12 to 20-year-old generation, they may not want to sit there for 65 minutes and listen to 15 songs anymore yeah. unless they know absolutely they know what they're getting into. I just got a couple more questions for you. So yeah. um, I came up, uh, myself personally, I came up in the in the early 90s, you know, and so I always wonder this because it was an amazing era. And I always wonder if it was just because that's when I was coming up and I thought it was awesome. But <laughs> I, have, I have this theory that it was actually a really awesome time period for music in Canada and internationally. And so I felt like there was something magic happening in Canada that time with, with bands and in the early 90s, like, you know, Blue Rodeo and 5440 and Trouble Charger, or maybe Trouble Charger a little later. But um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, I think really what, what that era was, was the seeds of, of not just CanCon, um, but much music actually creating superstars. So in the 80s, you had the Platinum Blondes and the Corey Hearts and the Spoons and, and all of these amazing artists, Honeymoon Suite, artists that not only looked good on video, but actually wrote pretty amazing songs. And that gave the infrastructure to the Canadian music industry, not only to get revenue, um, but to actually start working with more and more artists. And in the 90s, you know, you mentioned all of those artists, and I'll throw in like Celine Dion and Shania Twain and Alanis Morissette, um, Sarah McLaughlin, um, all of those women um, were, were able to kind of, you know, break through um, not only just in Canada, but around the world, because the world spotlight was on Canada um, around the 90s. We just, we do rock and roll really, really well. And although it's funny that uh, those four artists I mentioned might not be deemed rock and roll, but because this, because Canada is so big with so few people, if you can play live right across the country and you can get in a van and, and kind of struggle it out and play to 12 people the first time and 26 people the next time, there'll be a place for you in this country to play live. And all those rock bands, you know, um, that, that you mentioned artists like Sloan, for instance, you know, just never really went away. And, and thanks to the grunge movement to kind of, you know, help all these bands like head or, or, you know, a little bit of Trouble Charger or Jail or Eric's Trip and on those guys. But yeah, something was really special because I think that we, we became adolescents when it came to the music industry with the help of, of CanCon and, and having just having our own station and much music was so important because what MTV was able to do in America and create stars like Michael Jackson and Prince and Madonna and Duran Duran and Flock of Seagulls and all of these 
you know, artist that just broke big and sold millions of copies around the world. We never really had anything that forced stations to play our own. Once Much Music got on board and started creating stars, that's when radio started playing them, and then it was all over. And we've kind of been riding that for, for, for like now, like three decades. Unfortunately, Much Music doesn't play music anymore, but that's a whole other yeah. discussion. You know? <laughs> but Yeah, but, but like really, like yeah. why would they? You know, right. and it's funny because, you know, sometimes around the time of the MMVAs of the, the, the I Heart Radio Much Music Award, people will always slam them and say, well, what do you have to do with music? And it's like, it's kind of the culture, too. And again, as a business model, it, it doesn't make sense. There is nobody who would want to wait to find out what the number one video is of that week. Why? You have not only 4,000 charts around the world to your liking that will tell you, but this audience and this generation is growing up, not just had something now, but doesn't had it, but didn't have it back then. This generation grew up having access to every single song and every single video that they could possibly want in their entire lives at their fingertips for free. So they don't even need to pay for cable. They just need an internet connection or they can go get Wi-Fi for free off of somebody. But realistically, you know, this generation can watch what they want, listen to what they want, when they want, however many times they want to do it. Thank you very much. Listen, before we go, I just want you to let us know a little bit about yourself. What's going on? Well, your radio show, where can we find information about you, your website? Yeah, so for fun, I've got a radio show on Sirius XM. It's called At That Eric Alper, and it airs a couple of times over the weekend, and it's a one-hour talk show that I talk uh, to cool people like you and musicians uh, about, you know, I don't go too inside baseball a lot because I know that, um, you know, it's not really for geeks. It's just for, you know, the average casual listener. Um, And uh, so this week on the show, for instance, I've got – uh, Stephen Page, ex of the Baronic Ladies, and Tim Burgess from the Charlatans, who's one of my all-time favorite bands. And I talked to somebody like Tim Burgess about just what, how, how is it that artists can just survive for three decades, just like you and I are talking about now. So I have that. I'm working a slew of artists. Uh, Barney Bentall is on tour. Christina Martin is on tour right now. Um, and they can go to that ericalper.com for all the details and news and fun stuff that I want to purge from my head. Eric Alper, thank you very much for joining me. Hey, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks, David.